And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. The podcast formerly known as the Totally Football League Show Extra Time is for one week only rebranded as the Totally Football League Show deep, deep into added time. Because it was Ladder Pow, Freddie striking late to clip Moore's reborn owls, Chris's beach ball burst in Essex, and the priest is right. We talk keeping with David. This is the Totally Football League show, deep into added time, in association with Paddy Power. I'm Ali Maxwell, and he is George Ellick. Hello, George. Quick question. Have you ever been to Sweden? I have been to Sweden. I've been to Stockholm. I had a fantastic time there. Everything was incredibly expensive. And on <laughs> and in a taxi, the first mention of a taxi in this podcast of two, I um, was on the way to the airport to come home and then only realised in the taxi that I was going to the wrong airport and the airport I had to go to was about two hours away. And that made what was already an expensive weekend an even more expensive weekend. Absolutely unbearable stuff. Uh, the reason I ask, of course, is we've got David Priest coming up, formerly of Ostersons, but now he's back in the UK. And I think his return flight went pretty smoothly compared to yours. Uh, what else have we got coming up on the show? As ever, we are looking back at the midweek games going through our team and player of the week. Looking ahead to the weekend for our previews, picking out a game from each league. You and I giving ourselves one team each to look at in depth. And as you say, speaking to Preci about all things goalkeeping, a bit of Sunderland stuff in there as well. And some uh, Scandinavian goalkeeper physicality analysis too, thrown in for good measure. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time in association with Paddy Power. Place your bets. Welcome to Pep Roulette. Ta, I'm feeling confident today, me. So your selection, sir? To start off from blue number nine and ten. Seventeen as well, just behind the front two. Good luck, sir. Blue number seven, unlucky, sir. Sterling, he started last week. Predicting Pep's lineups can be tricky these days. That's why we're giving you a risk-free £5 bet builder on Man City v Man United this Sunday. Money back as cash if it loses. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bets only. Minimum two legs. Max cash refund £5. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BigGambleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Right then, midweek review time. And in a week where the Golden Globes happened, this is where the real action is. These will be the Totally Football League Show Extra Time Midweek Awards, or as they're known, the Tuffle Setma for short. George, (laughs) 
Kick us off with the championship. Who's got? Who's getting our first Tuffle Setma this week? It was going to have to take something pretty special to knock Valerian Ishmael's Barnsley, relentless Barnsley, uh, from getting this award. But very, very late into Wednesday evening, as you mentioned, right at the top of the show, Freddie Ladapo's goal, meaning 10-man Rotherham, went and spoiled Darren Moore's party at Hillsborough with a 2-1 win. Has to be, has to be the result and the team of the midweek. They took the lead fairly early on, Michael Smith um, with a header before he was then sent off what I think was in, like an unbelievably soft um, red card for retaliation, effectively kind of shoving his chest, shoving his head into the player's chest in the process of standing up, um, showing a straight red for that, which I don't think was, was particularly fair. It looked like it was going to be another case of the luckless Rotherham after an on a Sunday comical own goal where the ball ricocheted off the keeper into his leg and into the goal. That made it one all. 10-man, one all, clinging on for a point, wave after wave of Wednesday attack. Only Cue for Freddie Titanic Ladapo. music. <laughs> exactly. Freddie Ladapo to pick up the ball on the left-hand side. I don't know why the Wednesday defenders are standing off him the way they do, but they give him all the time in the world to come inside onto his right foot and plant a beautiful finish from outside the area into, I can't call it the bottom right-hand corner. It's kind of the middle right-hand corner, let's call it, into the side netting. An incredible strike. They'd, they'd lost four games in a row, one all before this. They'd lost five games in a row. And you know we spoke to Matt Crooks on this podcast last week and you got the sense from him there that he felt they weren't quite getting the rub of the green. There was still the positivity in the camp that they had enough to be safe this season, enough to get out of the relegation fight. And you know he spoke about the, the difference of Paul Warren compared to other managers that he's played under. And a brilliant clip that, that Rotherham tweeted out after the game, showing Warren speaking to his players after this massive, massive win against a fellow relegation struggler. You will never forget it. I'm telling you, you will never forget it. Bookshire will never forget it for his pass. You won't forget it red button someone, but a great goal first half. But you will never forget it. And you've now got 14 games or whatever it is to make 14 more memories. Championship Player of the Week, George, we're not ignoring Barnsley completely because if it's not their manager, Valerian Ishmael, well, let's give out a gong to their captain, Alex Mowat, the captain of this remarkable six wins in a row, Barnsley FC, the Barnsley FC flirting very, very heavily and unsubtly with the playoff places. The reason he's our Player of the Week is because, well, first and foremost, he scored a magnificent free kick to put Barnsley 2-1 up. And there's no surprise when you've watched Moet for the last five or six years that he has this quality in his locker. But the thing I like most about it is you talk about Titanic music being played over clips of I follow commentators going absolutely crazy when their team scores. Well, I found what I'm calling the reverse Titanic Titanic. This is how the QPR commentary team reacted to this, and I think it sums up the goal pretty well. Moet takes. Oh, it's beautifully oh. delivered, and it's 2-1 to Barnsley. And not content with giving his side the 2-1 lead, they managed to make sure that it didn't end in one of those nervy finishes that you get with a one-goal lead, because Moet prompted a brilliant counter-attack with a fantastic pass with the outside of his boot for Carlton Morris to run through and score. And what a fantastic few weeks Morris has had since moving from MK Dons up a division to this Barnsley side. I think just focusing on Moet quickly, what I find interesting about him being the fulcrum of this Barnsley side is that I think we all know by now 
what the style of play is. And what's interesting to me is that I think, and as I referred to, his quality in his left foot has never been questioned. His shooting from range, his passing ability, never, ever in doubt. But I think what has definitely been questioned in the past is his physicality, his stamina, perhaps, whether he can break up play quite as well as he can dictate it and uh, and whether he could be part of a midfield too, for example. But there can be no questions anymore, I don't think. The bloke's got one of the most intense roles in English football at the moment and he's absolutely thriving. He hasn't lost that quality on the ball with the added physical responsibility. So um, he is just one part of a very, very impressive and exciting team at the moment. He's also, and this has not escaped many people across the championship, out of contract in the summer. It's a really interesting situation for Barnsley and for him to be a part of. As they say in US sports, George, and I always think this when a very high quality championship player is up on a free transfer, he's going to get paid this summer. (laughs) And I think he deserves it. This award, just the icing on the cake for him, no doubt. Uh, Before we move on to the League One team of the week, just a quick bit of manager news in the championship. Neil Warnock has signed on for another season at Borough, extending his contract to the end of the 21-22 season. Remember that about seven years ago, it was one last job for Neil Warnock. (laughs) Well, we've got him for a bit longer yet, and I, for one, am all for it. League One team of the week. George, who is it? Is Northampton Town Cobblers. Finally getting a win. They'd gone 11 games in the league, 12 games in all competitions without winning a game. We saw Keith Curl make way, John Brady come in as caretaker manager. That saw a couple of really heartbreaking defeats. The 4-3 loss against MK Dons, the 2-1 defeat against Swindon last time out after taking the lead 1-0. But finally, they were able to get a result over the line and this is made all the more impressive by the fact it was against a Plymouth side who were in decent form who beat high-flying Lincoln last time we saw them at home 4-3 and the manner of the win as well you know Ryan Watson getting both of the goals for uh, for Northampton the first a brilliant finish and just the way they were able to see the game out Plymouth kept pretty quiet throughout Luke Jeffcott had a couple of chances Jonathan Mitchell making one very good save at nil-nil but for the most part keeping Jeffcott quiet keeping Plymouth quiet and it's not very often that teams are able to keep a Ryan Lowe side down. Certainly Ryan Lowe's side scoring goals, creating opportunities, not normally an issue. But Northampton, despite not having won a game for so long, despite having squandered a couple of leads recently, both really impressive in terms of, of the way that they were able to do so. And this took them off the bottom. That's why it's such a big win. They're now just one point off safety. The bottom of League One still looking really, really tight down there. These wins so important, especially with the likes of Burton Albion suddenly looking like they are going to get clear of the bottom four for the time being. So a big win for Cobblers, a, a disappointing result for, for Argyle. And it will be interesting to see if they can carry on this form under the caretaker manager, who I'll be talking about a little bit later in our weekend preview. The League One player, Jack Stevens of Oxford United, a nil-nil draw against league-leading Peterborough, ending their run of six straight wins. And with David Priest joining us a little later on, I just kept a special eye out for keepers this midweek. League One, definitely the place to be, I think, for young goalkeepers, if that's uh, of interest to you. You've got Cooper, Fisher, Bazunu, Sarkic... And now Jack Stevens as well. He he became Oxford's starting keeper after a poor run of form from Simon Eastwood. And he's kept nine clean sheets in 17 
games, he's also recorded the third highest save percentage in the league in that time. So while he's got a good defence in front of him, when he's been called upon, Stevens has performed very well. And perhaps midweek was his best performance. There have been other games against Wimbledon and against Bristol Rovers, notably, where a number of Stevens saves has helped secure a clean sheet and a win for Oxford. But I think this point is very, very valuable as well. And he made seven saves in total. The best one, the most significant one, probably a last minute save from a Johnson Clark Harris header. George, I wanted to ask you as our resident Oxford United fan, not that you'd ever guess, um, whether you think, well, I guess, how excited are you about the fact that a homegrown goalkeeper has taken the gloves off Simon Eastwood and looks like they are there to stay, the gloves on his hands? <laughs> the, the, the gloves, I'm sure, will be on his hands to stay. Um, it's going to be interesting in the summer because Simon Eastwood is not a goalkeeper. He'll be happy to play second fiddle and then you've got to recruit a keeper to challenge a youngster who's just signed a new long-term deal who's performing very well. I personally am, am fairly surprised by how well Jack Stevens has done, not because we didn't think he was a good keeper, but because he's looked so assured and has done so well in the time that he's come in. Um, you know, when he signed a new deal, Carl Robinson was very quick to to say that that managers uh, in higher leagues, I think he said, had been had been casting envious glances at him, and it's not a surprise because when you get a player who's unknown to many suddenly playing first team football and, and stepping up to the plate so well, with further improvement to come, it is impressive. Sometimes his his technique in terms of the way that he is saving these shots might leave a little bit to be desired, but the important thing is that he's keeping the ball out of the back of the net. And I'm sure that part of his game will improve in time. Someone's been brushing up on their goalkeeping technical analysis uh, in advance of our chat with David Priest later. Um, George, in League Two, who was our team of the week? Has to be Stevenage. And if, if we were to do alternative... You always have such strength and conviction in our choices. Well, That's what I love. I mean, it has to be them. It has to I was, be. Well, I'm going to go further and I'm going to say if we were to do alternative EFL awards right now, I think Alex Revel would be right up there for, for managerial job of the season. You know, you've got to remember this is a Stevenage side who were relegated at the, at the end of last season, who were only reprieved into their... You know, into their recruitment drive in an, for a national league season, had their reprieve, had a terrible start to the season where they looked destined again to be fighting off relegation. They're now closer to the playoffs than they are to relegation, having mm. beaten a high flying Forest Green three nil, and they were good value for that lead as well. Danny Newton with two goals has really struggled to find form this season. Chris Lines in in the middle of the park with two assists, really pulling the strings for them as well. Elliot List, who's been their key player this season with a third goal that I recommend anybody listening goes back goes back to watch. I've never ever seen a goal that we can call. I'm going to call it a four pass one touch move that is so <laughs> League Two. I mean the way I've described it, and then if you watch it back, it'll be completely different in your head. And the Elliot List knuckleball slash scuff into the near corner was a perfect end to a remarkably League Two goal that I absolutely adored. Um, but you know this has been coming. They were unbeaten in their last four before this. They've only conceded once in their last five. This is a Stevenage side very much on the up with a manager who seems to know what he's doing and a team of players all pulling together in the right direction. And, and to beat a Forest Green side three 0 like that. I don't think anybody expected it and it just shows what this side is capable of. League Two Player of the Week. It had to be, George. It had to be <laughs> Carlos Mendes Gomez. We actually had Morecambe as our team of the week last week. And I'm going to pop another shrimp on the barbie if you don't mind. It's a player <laughs> that I love. 
and a player who has taken a real leap this season from, I would say, exciting, skillful, young winger into just a stone-cold killer. Carlos Mendes Gomez killed Crawley in midweek, and I think he must be one of the most heavily scouted players in League Two because he really has come from nowhere to an extent. His backstory is fascinating. He has burst onto the scene with Morecambe and he's just got that extra bit of quality and class that you don't often see at this level. The fact that Morecambe don't have don't have a huge amount of strength financially will only add to the fact that many teams in League One and above maybe will be seeing if they could pinch him off their hands this summer. He showed his full array of attacking skills to anyone watching on, on Tuesday night. Firstly, as a playmaker, uh, receiving the ball on the left flank around the halfway line, cutting inside and playing a brilliant ball over the top for Jordan Slew to set up Stockton to finish for 1-0. And then Poacher's instinct as well. Uh, in the second half, he attacked across from the left. He was off the right at this point, ghosting in at the back post and finishing from a yard out, having given any Crawley defenders the slip. Uh, the entertainer, Carlos Mendes Gomez, this is what I like most about him. He, he does the spectacular more often than most in League Two. A left foot volley off the post. You can see this on the highlights on YouTube. Think Van Basten versus the Soviet Union, except the League Two version and on the other side of the pitch. And I, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, but then another poacher's goal, following in a shot from Stockton, nicking another goal on the rebound, 3-1 to Morecambe, a big win for them. As I say, he's, he's just taken a huge leap this year and, and, and you can see all the evidence in his performance in midweek. He's turned from a player that was really nice to watch to a player that is winning football matches for his team in League Two. And 11 goals is a fantastic return. He's the top-scoring non-striker, if you will, in League Two. If, if you look at the list, he's I think he's 10th overall, but the nine above him, all very much um, you know proper number nine types, you'd say. So really impressive performance from a really exciting young player. Do go and watch those highlights, Morecambe against Crawley, because Carlos Mendes Gomez absolutely sparkled, and he's our player of the week in League Two. Those are the Tuffle Setmers for this week. Back with more next week, of course. But next, Ali catches up with goalkeeping aficionado David Priest. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. So good to get David Priest on the show, mostly because... Goalkeepers, goalkeeping analysis is a huge blind spot for us, I think, and most football pundits. But David is a former goalkeeper, of course, now a coach, the preeminent goalkeeper pundit as well, and a great friend of the Totally family. Preci, how are you doing? Great to have you on. Uh, absolutely lovely to be on. Yeah, I'm doing really well, thanks. I'm glad to hear it. First and foremost, you are a Sunderland fan. You began your career there as well. So it's worth starting there, I think, because four months into life under Lee Johnson, Sunderland, very few defeats with him in charge, easing up the table. What have you made of, of this team's development under Johnson? I'm sure you would have been watching closely from afar on iFollow. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been really interesting, actually. I mean, if you think of the the short time he's been in charge of that four months, he's had a lot thrown at him. You know, there's been a lot to deal with. You know, initially when he first came in after a few weeks, they had a big problem with uh, with COVID, where they had games cancelled. Obviously, the players weren't training. Um, so you had to chop and change teams, especially I think it was uh, was at the Wigan game. Um, you know, it's, you know they've had to change the the, the lineups just before kickoff, a couple of hours before kickoff. You know, they've had the, the takeover, which has been dragged out, which is, you know, gladfully that it's been uh, it's been concluded now. But maybe it's a little bit uh, longer than necessary, you know, to make an impact in the in the transfer market. Maybe it's what he would would have liked to do more. Uh, in January, but also the the injuries. You know, people keep talking about Liverpool's injuries at the back line. The the chopping and changing that he's had to do because of injuries to especially the central defenders. You know, it, it's been incredible that one that they've been been able to continue with the, the clean sheets uh, and a great defensive record, but also just steadying the ship, getting like you said, getting good results. More importantly, sometimes when you're sticking around that playoff area, is is to not get not get beat, to still pick up points when you're not playing well. As a prime example, that was crew uh, last weekend, and um, so if you if you take that all into account, as well as coming to you know coming to a new environment, learning about the players, I think uh, I think he's done a very good job at the moment. Yeah, I mean, at fourth at the moment, still wide open, both automatics and playoffs up for grabs. Just from our perspective, watching this side under Johnson, they feel a lot less passive with the ball. They they look to make things happen a little more than under previous managers and play with a bit more speed and intensity. It's been exciting to watch from a neutral's perspective as well, which is the first time we've been able to say that about Sunderland um, for the last few years at least. Are you feeling positive about the prospects of promotion or at least a, a playoff berth, which a few months ago looked unlikely? Well, that was it. I mean, you know, after the games were were cancelled, they, they fell behind a little bit, and they knew that it was going to be a tough run in. They're going to be playing Saturday, Tuesday every week. You know, dropping down to sort of tenth, eleventh position, it, it looked a, a big ask. Like I said, he, he's, he's slowly sort of getting to know his players, and I think what's been really interesting for me is the the development of the the starting elevens and the the different systems. You know, he has been having to sort of test things and try things and move things around to see what fits. And uh, and 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 that sort of I think we're getting to a point now where he, he's more sure of his players, more sure of the way that he wants to play, and, and that's been great that he's he's adapted like that. You know, he hasn't just come in and said this is the way that I'm going to play and try to shoehorn everyone into that uh, into that system. And and because of what's um, you know because of the injuries and everything, you know, he, he's had to more adapting than than he probably say would want to really. And I guess the fact that the performance levels don't sort of it's not a roller coaster when players come out and players come back in that speaks quite well to the overall messages that he's he's trying to put in place for this team rather than you know we have to play one certain formation it's actually about you know different aspects of the game and and yeah really encouraging stuff um we've got to pick your brains about goalkeeping and goalkeepers across the EFL starting with a, a broad question but we've got some really good ones sent in on Twitter as well are there any goalkeepers in the EFL that you really like any that stand out for you across any of the divisions well, well do you know what I mean it's, it's obvious to say that you know look at the championship to, that's the the you look at that and say it's the easiest step, the, the the shortest step up to the to the Premier League, and there's a lot of keepers that's 
you know, you look out there and you've got your stalwarts, you've got your Tim Krulls and Asmir Begovic's who were, you know, the, the the consistency they've brought to their size this season has, has been brilliant. But on top of that, you know, there's a lot of keepers who personally I, I like watching and, uh, you know, I've come across uh, over the past few seasons. And when we've been looking to recruit in, when I was in Ostersunds, you know, I think it was the end of 2019. It looked like we we may have lost our goalkeeper Ali Kitty. He signed a new contract eventually, but you know, so I had to look around and and, and scour everywhere to, to see if there was any replacements. And there was a lot of uh, keepers around, sort of League One level, who played at League One level at that time, where you know really caught my eye. But one of them, and I really enjoy watching, is uh, Senny Dieng, uh, who's now mm. a QPR. And um, you know, he was at uh, Doncaster when I first saw him. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought just the way that he, he plays, he's, he's sort of very dynamic. Obviously, he's, he's not a youngster anymore; twenty six years old. But I, I really liked, uh, I really like watching him, and you know, just going back to the point about him being a Doncaster. I think, I think it's a it's great credit to uh, Paul Gerrard, there, the goalkeeping coach, he makes very good use of the uh, of the the loan system. You know, he's he's had Senny from uh, QPR. Joe Lumley's been there. Uh, Marco Morosi was there before he, he went to. Uh, to Coventry, so I mean they've got a real good, uh, you know, a good goalkeeping department there. It's such a fascinating thing tracking the development of, of young goalkeepers and trying to work out which of them might reach the very top um, because it's such a specific position and I think the development of young players and the pathways it, it, again it's unique compared to other positions we had a question from Lee saying do you feel there are any young EFL goalkeepers who could go on regularly to play in the Premier League or even England it, it's certainly not a case of looking at what what division a goalkeeper is playing in when trying to project their future, there's there's so much more to it. Yeah, and I, I think the likes of um, you know Nick Pope and and Jordan Pickford, people looked at that. Certainly, I was speaking to Dean Henderson a little while ago, you know, uh, before he, he he went out uh, started going out on loan, you know, he looked at those those two goalkeepers and thought, well, that's the right path to to take, you know, to, to just to get that experience. And, and when you're at these big clubs, you know, no matter how many sort of under 23 games you play, and it's still not the same. They still have to go there. And I was exactly the same when I left Sunderland, went to Darlington to play in sort of um, what was uh, Division 3 then, obviously League 2 now. And it was the best thing that I ever did, uh, you know, to, to get that experience, the real raw experience. Uh, and you get tested in so many different ways than you do at the higher level. And and I think it's it, it it very much is the way forward. And you're right. You know, there's lots of, you know, talk about good use of the loan system. You know, you got uh, keepers like Nathan Baxter, who's gone from Chelsea to Akron at the moment. Yeah. You know, Alex Palmer's at Lincoln. Uh, Gavin Bazunu, who's uh, mm-hmm. come from Manchester City, Rochdale. It's uh, it's also it's it's not just a great opportunity for these players to to get experience, but it's a great opportunity for the clubs to 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 get these players in and make good use of them and sort of play a big part in their development. That leads me on to a question that came in from Aaron that said, have you noticed an overall decline in goalkeepers' bread and butter skills, such as mm. shot-stopping, handling of crosses, as they are being moulded into an 11th outfield player in the modern game? Are aspects like distribution focused on too much? It's a great question, that, and, and I think the, the answer to it is really that there's always going to be sort of a, an offset of... Um, uh, of how you're going to develop other side of the game, you know. So if you're working, like I say, you're working a lot with the feet, and you work a lot with build up because with a lot of sides, even you talk, you know, you're looking down League One, League Two sides, 
MK Dons who do, do, must do a hell of a lot of work on build up the way that they start off their start off their attacks. So th- there's always going to be a little bit of a payoff where you you lose something, and and I think there is that, but I think there has to there has to be that sort of focus on the uh, distribution side of the game and the and in the build up and. When it comes to, to traditional sides of the game, shot stopping, uh, crosses, demon crosses, yeah, that's you know that should never be forgotten about. And in a time where we, you're working with sports scientists and you've got to be very careful with workloads uh, during the week, you know, sometimes it can be very, it can be almost impossible to get all the work that you want in, and that can be at the detriment of, like I said, the, the traditional side of the game. Well, I'm interested to know because I, I'm someone who. I personally think that there's too much focus on the errors when they occur passing out from the back and too much spotlight on those compared with a lack of of focus on the positives of doing it and the positives of your goalkeeper being, let's say, an 11th outfield player uh, in possession. But I also think there seems to be a bit of nostalgia for a time where goalkeepers, I don't know, maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s, were catching every cross and never punched the ball and never f- flapped at it is always the word. I mean, is that true? Was, was it how how aesthetically different did it look back in the day, so to speak, when you were coming through? Were you claiming everything? Were you holding every shot or is this a bit of a fallacy? No, it, it's, it's a bit of a myth. And, that, and I think that. From my perspective, when when I was younger, I was really influenced by a lot of the continental goalkeepers. I was looking, you know, eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. Transworld Sport was the only way place I could watch it. Sort of uh, any European or South American football, and you'd you'd be looking at that every week, you know, to see how if you pick up little things or how they did things. And I think it's just a balance with everything, you know. you know, there's this talk about catch, 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 catch. When you uh, from some goalkeeping coaches, when it's just not possible. So you know, we can focus on tra- in train trying to catch the ball all the time, but very rarely do I see sessions where you're you you're focusing on parrying the ball, hmm. so that you become so you become more proficient. It's not only putting power in the parry, but putting it in the right direction, and it doesn't always have to be. You know, when we're parry, when parrying in training or in games, it's normally left to a decision that's being made in that time, rather than focusing on the skill itself because it is a skill. But again, it's all about decision making and, and and what's needed in the game. And you've also got to think about you know the, the ball doesn't fly uh, true all the time. You know, there's a very it doesn't take a, a lot of movement on the ball to make a. What's seemingly an easy catch to make it a difficult catch? Something moves that's six, eight yards away from you. A simple catch becomes a reaction save, and then you've got to deal with that. So you know it's. I don't know a lot of people can say it because the goal, the technology of gloves these days. No, we should drop anything, you know. But it's a lot more nuanced than that. Uh, there was a question that I enjoyed from Perry who said, why do so many warm-ups and even main goalkeeper drills seem to see them face 6 million volleys to chest height when that might account for only 0.0001% of actual shots they face? Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. I mean, there's two sides of it. Uh, myself with the, the warm-ups to do, do with my keepers, you try to include a lot that you you might get in the game. So if that's something that you focus on during the week, when you think of potential threats that a team's going to pose, then you know you can try and include a little bit of that in the warm up. 
but also it's about you know the goalkeeper feeling good you know at, at that point in the in the week all your work is done a lot of your preparation is done uh, so it's it's about getting them in the right frame of mind for 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 the game so if they go into that game of course you want to make sure that you cover as much as you can in that warm up that they might potentially face but, but at the same time you don't be out there for an, an hour before a game where you know come an hour and you're absolutely exhausted because and that's the thing because of the mental side of the game especially keepers do get uh, exhausted in games and, and it does take a lot out of you so it's it, again I keep going on about it it's about balance and um, and yeah, what's right for one goalkeeper isn't right for another you know You've just left Ostersons after just over two years there to, to return to the UK. And I'd love to hear a little more about that experience. You called it, when you announced your departure, eventful and fulfilling. Uh, Liam tweeted to ask, what's the biggest difference in working in professional football in Sweden versus in the UK? Uh, it's not just your coaching experience to draw on here as well, because, of course, you played uh, for a few clubs in Scandinavia as well as plenty mm. in the UK too. Overall, it was because you have a, th- a lot of three G pitches over there. Half the half the pitches are three G, and certainly in Ostersund, it has to be because of the the weather around the start of the season and at the end of the season. Um, that they have to do that, and that changes the dynamic of the game and the way that you play the game and the way that um, you know the, the actions that you take during the game. And for when times when you are playing three G or, or when we're playing at home, you know I think the game. Does become a lot more tactical, and um, there's a lot more technique involved, and, and I think that was, you know, certainly from a goalkeeper's perspective, and the way that we played and the way we tried to play, especially in virtual, you know, it become a lot more. There was a lot more focus on tactical stuff than there was on the sort of the work and the, and the technical stuff. That's really interesting. None of this 3G in the EFL, that's for sure. We our goalkeepers have to cope with about three kilograms of mud clinging to them after about <laughs> 10 minutes of every game at the moment and none of this well-structured training either we're uh what, what are we tuesday saturday tuesday sunday for about four months of the year um it, it is the plan david to move into uh uk football to to continue looking for a, a similar job in the efl dare i say it yeah that's the plan i think um you know one of my big reasons for for coming back at this time and uh sort of cutting short my my contract a year early was because of the whole situation with COVID this year, it's been a real struggle for my family. You know, uh, my missus back here, she she's uh, she's a barber. We've got a barbershop. So, it's it, you know, that's been shut for the best part of a year. Uh, so, it's been a real struggle for her being on her own here. I've got a daughter in Newcastle who's obviously missed a lot of schooling. Uh, and I've not been uh, physically here to, to support her as well. So... Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, the plan now is to is to use the experience that <clears throat> that I got in Sweden, and that's a big reason why I went there to, to have a you know a really fulfilling experience, which I did, and, and then to come back and use that and and hopefully um, yeah continue my career and coaching career in England. David, we really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us, and uh, hope to see you in an EFL dugout soon, perhaps, and and hopefully talk to you then. Cheers, thanks a lot. David Priest there, the greatest goalkeeping mind out there, I think we'll all agree. But Ali, it's always a pleasure speaking to Priestley. I know last time you and Priestley were together was in the back of a black cab heading from an awards ceremony into Soho. 
bleary-eyed. I don't know if you can remember getting home or not, but fair to say this chat probably made a little bit more sense than that one. Um, <laughs> but you had uh, you had a couple of thoughts um, after you know speaking to a guy, and it is fascinating to speak to somebody who you know goalkeeping is a specialist skill and I think a fair few of us who think we know a fair bit about football probably don't know enough about it yeah absolutely I could talk to Preci about goalkeeping all day and all night as the case was uh, that night that you're referring to there but (laughs) I think there are so many things that I will take away from that chat with him and so many things that I will try to remember to improve my own analysis of, of goalkeeping and goalkeepers but one thing that I didn't expect to hear but I found really interesting was when he said that Dean Henderson had looked at the careers of Nick Pope and of Jordan Pickford players that he wants to compete with for the England jersey as a youngster and, and saw that they had dipped down into non-league and that that was okay. You know, that there can be a bit of a stigma, I think, about non-league football. And it just reminds me that players look at their peers and take inspiration from that. And I, I think from a goalkeeping perspective, we can see dropping down into non-league as potentially one of the things that a player like Dean Henderson took from his peers. But it reminded me of that current young crop of England players world beaters at under 17 level so many of whom have taken the risk I suppose of leaving their academy setups where they're very comfortable but potentially don't have an obvious pathway and have moved in some cases abroad to get first team football two or three years earlier than they would ever have hoped to back in the UK so I just thought it was a it was a yeah it just reminded me that looking at one's peers is is something that footballers do in order to help their own career decisions and that was uh, really interesting for me so always a pleasure to talk to David as you say there but up next it's time for me and you to talk we're going to look ahead to the weekend action Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right then, the weekend fast approaching means that it's time to preview the three fixtures that we think you should be having your eye on. Starting in the Championship, George, we're at that time of the season where you can pretty much make a case for every fixture being pretty important in some way. Yeah, pretty much either really important or not important at all for those sides who don't have much to play to play for. But this is definitely a game between two sides with a lot to play for because Reading are in fifth and they host Sheffield Wednesday, who are in 23rd. Now, I'm going to be focusing here on the home team, Reading, before you pick up and tell us about Darren Moore and how he started off at Sheffield Wednesday. Spoiler alert, not very well. Um, but with Reading... It's been classic Reading, really. Um, they have taken, well, they took three points from four games um, in the in the recent history. And that looked to have spelled an end of their automatic promotion chances. It meant that people were talking about them and Bournemouth dropping out of the playoffs and looking for the teams behind them as to who could, who could catch them up. But a couple of really important back-to-back 1-0 wins seem to have just steadied the ship a little bit. But the crucial thing here for Reading has been trying to replace John Swift, who has a long-term injury, and they have really struggled to do so, trying 
loads of different options against Blackburn Rovers, Vyko Pavanovic, the manager, decided to switch it up and mo- moved into more of a four two uh, of a sorry of a four three one two with with uh, Elise in the hole, and played George Puskas up front alongside Joao. Now Puskas is a real Jekyll and Hyde footballer. Sometimes you can watch him thinking, how is this player playing in the championship? He's quite clearly um, you know, an, an elite level striker with both of his his power when he's running, his physical attributes and also his, his goal scoring ability. But as Reading fans also know, sometimes he can be totally ineffective and on occasion probably even worse than that. But the George Puskas that turned up here against Blackburn was definitely the good one. He nearly scored from the, from inside his own half early on in the game. It was his goal that won it. It was his fourth start of the season, his first since November. And it's unlikely to last, but a blistering run of form from Puskas, a confident Puskas in this team, could provide that spark that they need to push themselves further up the table, especially because even despite the couple of 1-0 wins, you think back to the 1-0 defeat over Wickham as well. The players who we've been so used to praising this season, Olis, Ajaria, Joao, haven't looked their best. And when you've got flair players like that, technically gifted players, it's always unlikely to see them playing at that level consistently throughout the season. And Reading will be hoping that their three key star attacking men don't all fall short of form at the same time. Although the introduction of Puskas will help that. And also at the back, defensively, they've been very good as of late, and Liam Moore's return to the side after a long-term injury has been important. They did lose to Wickham 1-0 in his first game back, but he's played three 90 minutes and they've only conceded that one goal and do look defensively very, very assured with Moore and Morrison playing centre-back. So Reading in better shape than they were, I would say. I think all eyes go to the team sheet when it comes out on Saturday afternoon as to whether or not he sticks with this new formation with the two up front, whether he sticks with Puskas as well. But certainly... I think Reading fans and Reading players will be hoping that they can see off a relegation-threatened Sheffield Wednesday. Well, that's the thing from a Reading point of view, isn't it? It's like nothing good can really come from this fixture because you are so heavily expected to win by everyone that that only a comfortable victory um, really, you know, wins the hearts and minds, I suppose. But from a Wednesday point of view, we know what happened. On Wednesday night because you just covered it at the top of the show Rotherham our team of the week from a Wednesday perspective one of the most sickening defeats I think you're likely to experience as a football fan and not just on the night itself but what it means for the league table it's one of those where you check the table after full time and even though you know what it's going to say it still feels like a a punch in the stomach it makes the prospect of a Sheffield Wednesday survival much, much slimmer. And, you know, the the manner of the defeat as well. It's times like these where, as a fan, it feels like things will never get better. Like this always happens to you and to your team because of all of the teams in England, yours is the one that truly lacks character and lacks bottle, the team that lacks quality and always lets you down. And to be honest, Wednesday fans that think that probably have a point more so than most. Wednesday this season have conceded the first goal 13 times in the league and they've lost all 13 of those games. So once they go behind, that's it. The only team in the league, in fact, not to get a single point from a game where they've conceded the first goal. But not only that, interestingly to me, only five teams in the Championship have scored the first goal more often than Wednesday this season. So it's not that they concede the first goal 
that often. In fact, more often than not, they score first. And we're constantly told that the first goal is crucial, gives you a huge advantage. I think the number crunches crunch the numbers and say that if you score first, if you go 1-0 up, from that point, your probability of winning is around 73%, three quarters, a very, very good chance, a huge advantage. So if that's the case, and only five teams have scored first more than Sheffield Wednesday, where the hell are their points? <laughs> I mean, it just speaks to the lack of character at this team that they can't see a lead out. For most of the season, George, we've been saying, well, if it wasn't for the points deduction, Wednesday wouldn't actually be in the bottom three. But as of now, we can't say that. They are a bottom three team, whether they have points taken off them or not. So the big question now is, can Darren Moore find more? Can he pick them up off the floor and find a way to claw them away from the trap door? <laughs> Was that deliberate? <laughs> Hard to say. Um, I'm just feeling quite passionate about this. Look, he's got to improve the football side and the mentality side with only 13 games to go. It's a huge, huge job. At the very least, against Reading, I guess they can play a slightly more reactive game which might suit them more springing counter-attacks trying to let Patterson disrupt with a little bit more space to play into that's if he starts he missed a whole host of chances on Wednesday night and I wouldn't be surprised if Moore has lost a little bit of faith in Patterson uh, as Wednesday's main goal scorer but a lot depends on the defence holding out firm of course just two clean sheets in 17 away games at Paddy Power don't hold out much hope either Sheffield Wednesday 7-2 to two to win this one Reading strong favourites at 3-4 to four, and the draw 23-10 to 10. Right, time for League One. Another game between a team in the playoff places against one down at the bottom. George, you've already spoken a load of cobblers on this show already, but you want to talk <laughs> Northampton Town again? Yeah, I do, because this is a big game for the similar reasons as the one we just spoke about in the Championship. It's a side at the bottom, well, towards the bottom, I should say, now after their win in midweek in, in Northampton, hosting a team still looking to get into the promotion places despite a bit of a wobble recently uh, in Portsmouth and you know Northampton come into this not in great form as we mentioned that was their first win in 12 in midweek they have a manager in John Brady and you know last week I told you all the incredible story of the Barrow caretaker manager and sadly the John Brady story isn't quite as good although two bits I did like about him is firstly that his Twitter handle is at back of the net FC one which I think is <laughs> absolutely awesome and secondly those who like myself and yourself who spent a lot of their youth or even their adulthood playing championship manager 0102 might remember John Brady because he was part of the Rushton side where if you took over Rushton Diamonds at the beginning of CM 0102 which a little bit ironically, because given what happened to them, you started at two point five million pounds in in your uh, in your transfer kitty, so you could take over a conference side and spend loads of money on the best players. But John Brady was always quite a handy option on the right wing, so I was happy to see that it's the same guy. But he, he's got managerial experience, and that's something that we don't necessarily always see with caretakers coming into these roles who we we don't know much about. He took over Brackley, the best part of a decade ago and took them in his in his first season there, got promotion from the Southern Premier League. And then in his first season in the Conference North, took them to the playoff final against Halifax where they were beaten. So some managerial pedigree there to, to speak of before going to Northampton. And he's had a whole, whole host of jobs there since. Certainly from my perspective as well, Northampton have had a little bit of a spark since he took caretaker charge. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, 
they haven't necessarily got the results that the improved performances have uh, suggested that they would until midweek. Um, but certainly the performances have improved. They've been on the receiving end of some marginal games. They've squandered leads to both MK Dons and to Swindon as well. So yeah, I do think they've improved since he's come in. It's definitely less attritional than it was under Keith Curl. And my final point on Cobblers is listening to John Brady's interview after the game. I mean, this is a guy who I could fall asleep to. I thought we scored at the right times tonight and I thought we managed the game well. Um, I thought every single player to a man worked extremely hard. And when you get a result like that, you need eight or nine players better than the opposition. And I thought everyone came to the table tonight. So John Brady there. I mean, I think I need to take some elocution tips off him. So soothing is his voice. Born in Australia. You can tell the Australian lilt is there. But fingers crossed, the Cobblers' performances continue to improve under Brady. And that'll be the first of many interviews as Northampton boss. Get him on the pod. Let's get him on the pod. Although I'm not sure we want our listeners to be thinking of falling asleep while listening to it. Um, Not more than they ordinarily would anyway. Uh, They're up against Pompey and Portsmouth are currently experiencing a blip. Uh, They lost 2-1 against Doncaster in midweek. That means they've lost three of their last five. Not ideal for a team who's chasing automatic promotion, certainly. And in isolation, these runs happen and have happened to every single team across all three EFL leagues this season. For for me, it's not a horror run, and it's not the sort of run that, again, in isolation, I'd be massively concerned about necessarily. There's been a dip on on both ends of the pitch, a few defensive slips, and certainly, for the most part, I would say that they're really struggling to generate any chances. And so each game is being played on the margins, and at the moment, Pompey are falling more often than not on the wrong side of those margins. But... The extra layer of context, of course, is that Kenny Jacket doesn't have a huge amount of credit in the bank with the Pompey fan base, many of whom have never been convinced that he's the one to get them over the line in terms of League One promotion, even if their sort of general level does seem to be a solid playoff side. So when after a 2-1 defeat against Donny, their third defeat in five, don't forget, when he said this, it caused a little bit of a stir, it's fair to say. Now, if you're going to lose, it's a good way to lose. Uh, um, uh, you know, we went down fighting. We had 2-0 um, uh, down. We got we got back to 2-1 and we had a, you know, a, bit, a big chance and a scramble even after that. So, you know, congratulations to the players for the, for the, for the character. We're just desperately disappointed with a loss. Yeah, a good way to lose and perhaps a poor choice of words from Kenny Jacket there. Just fueling the feeling amongst some of those fans that he's not got that extra winning edge needed to take Pompey up automatically this season. It's an awkward opponent this week in Northampton, but certainly a chance this weekend off the back of a good way to lose um, for him to show the fans what a good way to win looks like. Paddy Power think it's probable that Pompey will win the game. Three to four favourites they are with Northampton seven to two and the draw five to two. Dropping down into League Two, George, and travelling up to two Northwest sides, Locking Horns, this weekend. Yes, Morecambe against Carlisle. And if you had told us a few weeks ago that Morecambe would be the informed side blistering up the table and Carlisle would be the ones needing a result to steady their ship, I'd have been very surprised because it looked like Carlisle and Beachpool had the staying power. But it is Derek Adams' Morecambe who continue to impress. They've won three of their last four. Of course, they had that dramatic win against Salford a couple of games ago where they scored twice in injury time. 
uh, to win that game 2-1. They are in fifth position. They finally crept into a positive goal difference with a 3-1 win over Crawley, despite their lofty position. And I think the key thing for me with Morecambe has been how well they have coped with the loss of Adam Phillips, the League 2 Bruno Fernandes, as he was called in those parts, (laughs) with both his his creative ability and his goal-scoring ability. Uh, I think a lot of Morecambe fans are worried that Phillips' departure to go back out on loan to Accrington was going to spell the end of their promotion tilt, but nothing could be further from the truth. In midweek, they took the lead early against Crawley and went 1-0 up through Cole Stockton. We're pegged back to one all, and then John O'Sullivan, who isn't necessarily the player to fill in for Adam Phillips, but his role in the team is fairly similar. He came off injured, but what we saw after that was incredibly impressive. I mean, you've spoken about Carlos Mendes Gomez already and the role that he played with his two goals. Stockton himself is developing very quickly into... You know, he's always been a, a physical presence, but his, his ability to both hold the ball up, to bring others into play and adding finally some goals to that as well. I mean, his shot volume is huge, but not necessarily the most clinical. Getting a really good finish for the first goal here. Uh, Aaron Wildegan behind, such a tidy player and another creative force for them and a player who can score goals. But the one I want to talk about is Jordan Slew, because if you're looking at inspired signings in the EFL this season, well, in the last year, I should say, because he came in January during the last campaign before it was cut short. Jordan Slew's got to be up there. He played under Adams at uh, at Plymouth back in 2017. He was released from Rochdale back in 2018. He then played at Radcliffe at Boston and was playing in the Northern Premier League at Ashton when Derek Adams, his old boss, called him and said, do you want to have another crack at League Two football? There's absolutely no way Jordan Slew would have had another go at this level had it not been for his old boss. And he pay- played a key role here, such a good assist, a lovely back heel for, uh, for Stockton's goal and generally a nuisance throughout. And it just goes to show, I think, that sometimes we can get so bogged down in what a player has done, analyse their previous history, whereas actually these are all talented footballers and given the right surroundings, given the right um, manager, these guys can still be positive influences elsewhere and Slew is certainly showing that. Morkin made five changes to the side that lost 1-0 on the weekend to Mansfield as well, showing that they've now got a squad depth that we probably didn't have never really associated them with either. So I've said it before, I'll say it again in March, anybody thinking that Morecambe don't have the staying power to continue this charge towards League One is going to be in for a, a pretty big surprise and I'm sure Carlisle won't be taking them lightly. I've got to admit, as someone who often gives nicknames to League Two and League One players that probably don't really stand up, the the Adam Phillips League Two Bruno Fernandez one is actually pretty good because of his uh, his high volume output, shall we say? The fact that almost every Morecambe attack ended with Phillips shooting or setting up a shot um, for sure, but uh, coping well without him. They're up against Carlisle this weekend. It's a Carlisle side, as you mentioned, who have slid down the table. They've lost five and drawn one. That's just one point in their last six games. And I would say, looking at the performances, this is a, a, a classic case, George. We see it often in the EFL of a medium-sized dip in performances, leading to a huge dip in confidence, which then leads to an even bigger dip in performances. Uh, Midweek is a classic example as well. Carlisle controlled the game against Colchester for 60 minutes. Uh, They went ahead in the first half. Colchester only had one shot in the first hour of the game, but Carlisle didn't do what they did earlier in the season. They didn't do enough with the lead that they had. They didn't extend it. And then... Uncertainty creeps in. A clumsy penalty was given away. Callum Harriet 
took it. And what else do we often see in these runs? Well, just being on the wrong side of luck. Harriet hit the inside of the post with his with his penalty. It flew across the goal and went just inside the side netting on the other side of the goal. Harriet then smashed one in from range, which is what he does pretty well. And, and all of a sudden, Carlisle are getting back on the bus, looking at a five and a half hour trip back to Carlisle and empty handed. And the poor run continues. It, it, it was the fourth game in a row where the Cumbrians have gone ahead and not won the game, which suggests to me, on a positive note, they're not a million miles away, but they certainly seem to have lost some of that exuberance that characterised their play at the back end of 2020. Chris Beach, who's always interesting to listen to in his post-match interviews, well, he had quite a nice boxing analogy to sum up the midweek fixture. In a 12-round boxing match, uh, I don't know, the first six were very good. Uh, seven, eight, and nine. They're on, they're, you know, we're on our back foot. We've had one in the chops, and uh, the lads are struggling to, uh, I don't know, wobble them cheeks and get back at simple things. Always enjoy listening to Chris Beach, and I've got a pretty good feeling about Carl this weekend. I reckon their cheeks will be well wobbled, and I think they'll be ready to land a few big ones on Morecambe. So I'm going to side with Carlisle here. Actually, Paddy Power do make them favourites as well, despite being in a lower league position. At 13-10, to 10, the away side, Carlisle. Morecambe 2-1, and the draw 9-4. to 4. And that is us for this week. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you to everyone who messaged in with their questions for David Priest. And of course, thanks to Priestie for his time. Matt and the gang will be back on Monday. We'll be back on Thursday. But for now, goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Finding it difficult to get off to sleep? Well, you are not alone. After a long day of Zoom, Doom and Gloom, It's hard to relax and just drop off. Maybe you need a bedtime story. I know, there's a lot of them out there. They ask you to imagine that you're laying on a lily of contentedness, drifting upon a lake of calm, holding hands with the otter of placidity. Our one isn't like that. It's a football bedtime story, and it sounds like this. When Brian Clough arrived at Nottingham Forest in January 1975, they were a mediocre provincial club whose most recent success was winning the FA Cup in 1959. But they were 13th in the old second division now. Clough too was damaged goods. So give it a go tonight. Subscribe to Football Bedtime Stories on your favourite podcast provider now. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.